Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. This is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Welcome. And I hope you know the drill. This is where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Raoul Shah, founder and joint CEO of Exposure, a creative communications agency bringing together brands, culture and consumers. A chance meeting in his 20s saw Raoul hired to product place Converse shoes. He gave the shoes to DJs, musicians and model contacts and the resulting famous feet photos landed in glossy magazines. After repeat success, he set up exposure from his West Hampstead bedroom, it says here, aged just 25. I like that part of London. It's aimed to make brands culturally relevant by connecting them with the right people. Built on the power of word of mouth and networking, Exposure now has four global offices and works with some of the world's most iconic and influential lifestyle brands. We'll be talking to Raoul about all this and the impact of social media. And don't forget, or rather I shouldn't forget, I'm going to be talking about his book. He's got his first book out, Do Not Disturb, by him. And it's all about his signs that he's collected from around the world of hotels. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, The RH Factor, Charlie Hunter Quartet and Nat King Cole. That is today's Jazz Shapers, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers with Pensativa. That was Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers with Pensativa. Raul Shah is my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. And um, it's a real pleasure to have not just a business person, although you probably say I'm not a business person, I'm a creative person, we'll find out in a moment, but also a, a book producer. Hello. Hello, Elliot. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for this uh Generous and you know, hopefully low risk invitation to well, your we'll studio. See. Well, you you can you can be the judge of that when you um, we finish at ten o'clock. Tell me about you and the beginnings of this business that you created. What possessed you to take the fun that you were having and try and organise it inside of a business? I guess the possession. <laughs> what possessed me was probably the fact that. After five years of working at Pepe Jeans, um, having graduated from Manchester, the idea of doing my own thing was kind of set in my mind, but I had zero idea about how one does that. I had no idea about businesses, running a business, business plans. So I thought the best place to sort of, um, I guess, look around, search for something and surround myself with people who might be able to give me some direction was to focus on the thing I loved, which was music. So I used to run clubs. And by running clubs, organising nights at various different places in London, booking DJs and trying to you know, get a sort of certain amount of people through the door, I started meeting really, really interesting people who um, all shared the same passion for music, live music, DJs, and a certain sort of culture that was existing in London in the early 90s that maybe is harder to find now. And through the club... I met a lady called Louise Huron, who was the marketing director of Converse. And she basically said to me, how do I get everyone in your club to wear Converse? And I said, well, it's really easy. Come next week with a few pairs of Converse and we'll give them out. And so we did. We did it for a few weeks and eventually said, look, I 
kind of need to do this slightly outside of a sort of late Saturday night in Notting Hill. Can we talk to you in the daytime? Can we, like, you know, appoint you as our agency? And I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, this woman's completely mad. I don't even know what she just said to me, but I'm going to meet her. I rebranded my flat number four in West Hampshire to apartment. No, sorry, it went from flat number four to studio number four. Sounded kind of slightly more professional. <laughs> and given that I was living in this tiny little studio, and it literally was a studio flat, I said, I'll meet you at the Marriott in Swiss Cottage. And, you know, because there was a lot of people at work that day. And we had a conversation. She said, all right, we're going to appoint you. We're going to give you a one-year contract. We're going to pay you to be Converse's agency. Um, you know, how much would it cost? I threw a ridiculous number at her. Ridiculous at the time. It wasn't much today. <laughs> And that was it. It was a foundation for exposure, really. So, was, I, you know, and I really think the whole journey from that point on was about, you know, having a certain belief in what I felt, you know, via a bit of instinct and a bit of, you know, kind of consideration was the way forward, mm. how to sort of start building a, a business, but also using all the things that I loved and, you know, and wanted to be surrounded by fashion, music, um, and people who were, you know, had, a, had an interesting story, I guess. And now exposure, four countries, as I said, how many people work in the business? about 250 across all the offices and we're looking at i'm roughly if my source tell me a 30 million pound yeah the, the business, group the group about 30 30 million pounds in 30 revenue. pounds you're 30 still you're still back you're still, in that, i think that's how much i charge converse yeah, probably that's probably those days. L- luckily it works <laughs> i want to go back into something you said because you're um you talked about i love fashion i love music i've ended up creating a business which is kind of in that in that vein it's the things that you enjoy you come from a Gujarati family, immigrant family, um, you, and obviously from the East African connection rather than directly from the Gujarat, yeah. which is uh, not an uncommon thing here. You grew up in a pretty conventional school system. You went to university, you mentioned that. You did a textiles degree of right. sorts. And here you are at that age, at 20, 25, whatever, being very comfortable with the fact that you're going to do something in the world of music, fashion, and lifestyle. Now, I know plenty of people with your background very, very well who did not do this, who ended up as... Good folk, doctors and lawyers and accountants. Why? I mean, it, were, you, were you perceived as a, as a rebel in your community, as it were? And I don't just mean literally the family. I mean the community of people you grew up with. I think um, I was very lucky being born and brought up in London. You know, I was born in the late 60s. Um, I won't be specific to the year, but it was late 60s. I know, but I won't tell anyone. And, um, you know, going to school in northwest London in the 80s, Camden specifically meant that there was a sort of whole musical scene that I couldn't avoid when I was going to school. So, you know, bands like Madness were, were a regular sort of, you know, pub fixture in Camden Town. Not that I was going to pubs, but, you know, you, it was music was a big part of the soundtrack of growing up in London. And, and so was the language of style magazines. You know, I was very interested in magazines like ID and Blitz and The Face and various others. And I think my parents always gave me a lot of, you know, without sort of formally giving me permission, they really encouraged us to be curious. And I think part of that comes from the fact that my mum was um, an artist. She painted all her life. And my dad was also an artist, but that was a hobby of his. So he learned to paint uh, Chinese sort of brush painting was his style. He would go to China to perfect and improve his kind of um, his own art. And so I was always surrounded by perhaps the environment at home was much more creative perhaps than traditional Gujarati families living in London. They had also not come from a sort of doctor, optician, accountancy background. There are many of them in the family. But um, they left. They were probably two of the earliest members of the family to leave Nairobi and come to London. So they in themselves, I think, in their sort of DNA had some 
spirit of adventure and travel and you know discovering the world, which is clearly rubbed rubbed off on me. And mm. I think um, you know being given that opportunity to see the world um, as you know open and being able to sort of try things and do different things was something that was always very much part of our sort of conversation at home. And I think that's weirdly where this book kind of, you know, how, how I mean, giving birth to this product right now is one thing, but in 1980, taking that first Do Not Disturb sign from a hotel in New York was a reflection of what my parents wanted us to experience as kids, which was to travel, you know, not travel just back to Kenya or, or go back to sort of our roots in India. But, you know, we went to Japan and we went to Egypt and we went to America and all those things, I think, gave me a great foundation to eventually think, as I was start, starting to sort of map out what I wanted to do on my own, gave me um, the belief that kind of anything of interest is a good place to sort of start looking um, and searching within. I've I've watched you in a couple of um, films, as I always had a bit of homework before I meet people, as you, you may have guessed. And you talk about, you mentioned just then that curiosity point and the openness point. Is that is that in the heart of the DNA of, of the business you've got? Is Is that what you look for when you hire people, basically? Just be open. Openness, especially now in a in a world where nearly everybody you look sort of stare at walking down the street is looking down at a screen, is you know in its broader sense and its most literal is absolutely key. You know we need people in our business, um, and brands need people who are able to constantly think about you know everything around them in a different way. You need to be able to challenge conventions. You need to think of ideas that other people wouldn't maybe take the risk of presenting to clients. Do that. You need to be curious. You need to be looking around. I mean, I always say I've got this letter that we write to every single member of staff when they join. And the last... Um Last few lines say, you know, you're living in arguably the greatest cultural capital in the world. Um, don't miss a thing. Look up. And I think that's really key. And I think when we interview people, one of the things I'm always fascinated by is what people do that really kind of drives their passion. It's got nothing to do with work. Because if you've got something great going on outside of work, whatever it is, whether you're into vinyl and you know, reading books or whether it's travel, whether it could be anything, but you need to have something that is drawing you away from the office and making you want to go and do something outside of just, you know, work and home and family and all the other things. Stay with me for much more from my business show today. That's Raoul Shah. He's coming right back at you in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for your business. Hi, I'm Laura Chandler. I'm a partner in the corporate team at Mishkondorea and I head up our reorganisation and restructuring team. So why might you want to undertake a reorganisation or restructuring? There's a whole host of reasons, but some of the more likely ones are in preparation of a sale of the group or the business or part of your group or business for operational reasons. It might be to split the ownership, whether because of litigation, divorce or just because or for tax planning reasons such as inheritance tax planning. Careful planning is essential when undertaking a reorganisation. Some things that you want to think about are, where does everything sit now? Where do you want it to sit going forward and why? What is your primary goal in undertaking the reorganisation? Also consider speaking to an expert to make sure that it's done in the most tax-efficient fashion. And what are the common pitfalls in undertaking a reorganisation? There are many, but here are just a few. Not fully preparing. Not taking the bank along with you so that they understand what you're doing and why. You might have charges or other security in place which needs releasing in order to undertake the reorganisation. Not having all of the shareholders fully on board. This can lead to delay and frustrations on all sides. And also timing. Think about whether there's anything time critical that has to be undertaken. 
And if so, factor that into your timetable. In essence, it's all in the planning and making sure you take the right advice early. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are absolutely loads of ways for you to enjoy all of our former Jazz Shaper guests and indeed to hear this programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or just pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform and you can enjoy the full archive. But back to today, it's Raoul Shah. He's a pioneer feel like a pioneer a pioneer of influencer marketing and founder and joint ceo of exposure a creative communications agency just if you're allowed to just tell me a couple of the brands that you work with at the moment um so i'll start in order of some of the oldest clients we've got in terms of the ones we've represented the longest so levi's dr martin's uh coca-cola we've been working with for over 20 years now nike for 15 years we also work with microsoft um converse clearly were our first client actually they went away for a couple of years and have come you're wearing back. converse i think i'm wearing pretty much all of them. there's a bit of levi's and uniqlo and converse, i love uniqlo and uh, your my u- uniform uniqlo is a client as well uniqlo is a client as well and and um these clients now what would they say they're buying from you today you know it's, it's a great question because we will constantly i guess push against the vernacular and sort of stereotypical sort of language of agencies which is you know you've got to drop yourself into a box and you've got to sort of make it easy for people to understand what they're buying i mean we talk about making brands culturally relevant what they're really buying is a series of specialisms they're buying you know pr they're buying brand experience they're buying digital um, strategy they're buying social media campaigns you know it doesn't sound that interesting they're buying lots and lots of things that lots of other people do our point of difference is that we will constantly invest in the specialisms becoming more specialist we are not interested in presenting a generalist everyone does everything so when you meet somebody in our business i'm hoping you will feel like you're talking to somebody who's a real expert in their specific area uh, and discipline and our real sort of challenge as well as sort of biggest opportunity over the last i'd say decade has been how we join those dots together how do we get clients to navigate their way through all these different specialisms through the various different departments and the companies and the agencies and the markets we're in so they get a seamless campaign idea that works across a multitude of channels and um ultimately nowadays do that with some kind of clarity around how that impacts a brand you know how do we measure it what are we actually doing that has value and builds longevity and you know the value of brand and for you as the person who's obviously uh, at the beginning you created this thing and now here it is however many years later you as a leader of these specialists of these very talented open-minded creative people what's your style what's the way that you get the best out of these people keep your sanity keep client focused there's a lot going on yeah well one thing about our business is that A couple of my senior partners and shareholders, my business partner Tim and um, our CFO James, have been friends of mine from before exposure. So on the one hand, there is, in my case anyway, a lot to be said about working with people that you know well, that you trust, and that you feel that you can kind of complete sentences for when you're in the room. Um, And that genuinely happens. When it comes down to leadership style, and I'm not going to go through all three of us because we're very, very different, which is possibly why it works. I just want to know about you, (laughs) Ralph. But in my case, (laughs) I'm very involved. So some people will laugh and argue that that's not a good thing. I am. I love what we do for clients. I want to be involved in the creative process and the ideas. I love the client relationship part. 
I still spend more time outside of the building wanting to go and meet new people and see what, you know, we can do and where we can kind of extend ourselves. And um, I'm into detail. I'm quite fanatical about detail. So I'm not great with people who send me um, errant, misspelled emails. And, um, you know, everyone knows that there's a certain way I think things need to be in terms of order and orderliness in an agency like ours because ultimately for me everything that somebody experiences is a reflection of what they might get if they're buying services from us so I can handle chaos but I like organization structure and I then have this other side to me which is completely I've got an idea and by next week I'm going to make sure it happens. Well you talk about order and things and um, just to say Raoul's brought his new book in only released a couple of months ago do not disturb which we'll be talking about in a bit and the card has my name on it very nicely written and it's spelled correctly which is a miracle so um this man is fanatical about but these detail. are these are but this is important, important right because that's what i'm that's my first experience of you you know handwritten yeah remembering people's names yeah it's not difficult is it? I mean, it's not difficult people don't do it but and do i think it. you know it's it's easy to do things quickly and there's a reason why doing things quickly is a good thing and we need to in, in business but i think the building of relationships and taking time and remembering people and kind of getting deeper into conversations is an incredible incredibly powerful sort of business tactic perhaps but it's actually a passion for me the fanaticism the adulation of order your desire to collect things, and that's where this book comes from, but I know you've been a collector of skateboards and the like and all sorts of stuff. Where does that come from? Why do you like keeping stuff? So I I thought you would ask this question, and I've been You're trying like, to kind of go, right, what would I say if somebody <laughs> says, why do you do it? And I guess it's pop culture. You know, pop culture, for me, as a sort of reference point of moments in, in time... And the changing moments over time, for me, is fascinating. You know, I've always liked looking at, you know, I've been subscribing to National Geographic for 25 years, and I don't read them in order, you know, and going back to them is like, uh, so having a great library, I guess. And I think this idea, my parents always had lots of books at home. You know, one thing we had a lot of was art. They bought a lot of art, and specifically Indian art, and they had a lot of books. And I think I always liked sort of delving into them, even if it wasn't to read them, but just to sort of flick through them and look at them. And I think magazines was, were probably the first. You know, I remember buying all the original back in maybe 70s. You know, I used to buy Black Echoes, Sounds and Smash Hits, and I kept them all. And I kept them all because my favourite bands were written about within the magazines. But I always used to kind of go back to them. You know, it wasn't just a one read and then that's it. And I guess it was a, like a touch paper. And then suddenly this hotel Do Not Disturb sign of thing happened. And then you know, matchboxes from restaurants because I thought every time I, you know, go home, I'll remember where I was and who I was with and that restaurant moment was great. And um, skateboards was sort of more a, you know, it was a sort of art-driven collection. I was collecting, buying skateboards in New York a long, long time ago and, they, you know, every now and again brands would release a, you know, a kind of collab between an artist and a skate brand and so a lot of street artists would be customising skateboards and I'd you know, just walk up and buy one. Nowadays, people queue around the block for getting these things and resell them. But, you know, I just, I bought a lot and eventually I thought it warrants the title collection rather than just a pile of wood. And um, I now find it even more interesting to have done it because I'm much more conscious of the fact that I've got these things everywhere which for a long time were clutter and just sort of rubbish and for some people just ephemera that you should discard. But you know, we had our 25th anniversary last year for Exposure in October. And um, I went to the 
warehouse in sort of near Heathrow Airport where we've got thousands of boxes of sort of stored mainly documents, you know, legal and professional documents and contracts and things that we used to, you know, print once upon a time. And um, there's probably about 60 boxes of, you know, things I had kept, which were part of the sort of work and the output and the industry of the agency and, uh, as, as a record. And we've got about 4,000 photographs now complete of every single item from flyers and invitations to parties to, you know, Levi's 150th anniversary in Berlin to the 40th and 50th and next year will be the 60th anniversary of Dr. Martin's. And when I look at that, we've got a record of like the last 25 years, if not longer, of sort of, to some degree the evolution of the youth culture seen through street art, through fashion, through music, through sneakers, through retail, through DJ culture through clubs. I mean, it's for me, I think, I now feel I have a responsibility through a lot of these collections to kind of cap- capture it, which we've done, and share it, because otherwise there's no library. You know, it's not that it doesn't sit in one nice orderly A to Z of Encyclopedia Britannica's anywhere. So now I feel kind of glad that we ha- I have had this is it, urge. Just, li- just listening to you, um, 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 briefly, um, uh, is it about fearing that you'll lose the importance of those moments or is it a more positive thing that just says i just don't know i just like this and i'm just going to put it in a box and one day maybe no i think for me the moments you know i like telling stories and there's a reason why i haven't written much in the book because every sign i can tell you a story about and there's a lot of credits in the book you'll see a thanks to or a dedication to um you know a friend who's passed away and that page for me is a you know a good 20 minute story and i think the moments and the memories are not yeah, capturing physical objects to kind of hold the memory isn't the reason. It might be a trigger or a sort of prompt. It's much more about, like I said, sort of collecting things that over time suddenly represent as sort of, sort of almost a pop culture moment um, when put together. And of course, it was never conscious at the time. It's only me, slightly older and a yeah. bit wiser, able to articulate that. There have been times when I've just thought, I don't really need this. I'm going to chuck it away. And actually, what normally happens is most people, when you tell them you're about to get rid of you know, 200 pairs of sneakers or 30 pairs of vintage Levi's from the 80s, they go, don't do that. Don't do that. No, you know, that's really important. It's, like, it's a record of time. And I'm thinking, all right, I won't. And of course, when people say that, it's not because they've got the same. They're going, no one else has it. So keep it and then do something with it, which is perhaps why my first sort of venture into creating a physical object has now um, arrived. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest, a Raoul Shah, who going forward will be called the curator, I think. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Nat King Cole. That's all coming up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. The nicely juxtaposed sound of Nat King Cole there with Route 66. I'm still with Raoul Shah just for a few minutes. He's my business shaper today. And we have been talking about all sorts of things, collecting stuff. Um, uh, not going to use the word obsessive. Uh, uh, collecting stuff and enjoying the art of bringing people and, and ideas together and capturing the essence of brands through what's inside of their culture and what's outside of their culture and sort of fusing the two and all of that. 
What we haven't spoken about, um, because it's an ugly thing, is the money bit. Yeah. Y- you happen to have made a living out of the things that you find fascinating. You mentioned earlier, I love it when people have a reason to leave the office, whatever it is. It strikes me your office is everywhere. It doesn't really matter where you are. You're just moving along and you bump into people and you go, I like that. You bump into ideas, you go, I like that. Firstly, what role does the money play for you? And secondly, where do you escape to that really isn't related to work or is everything related to work? A lot's related to work, but I I don't find that a problem. I'm very lucky that my work and my passions and my hobbies and the things I love are all intertwined and I don't think anything's ever compromised. I don't think I'm in conflict. I'm, you know, when people talk about work-life balance, I just have the whole thing in you know in the same pot and that's just me and that kind of you know I can handle the uh, delineation when I have to you know there's definitely lots of time outside of work where I'm very much you know off duty um, away with family my wife's from Annecy in France so that is definitely our escape and we're there for most um, school holidays but um, the work life thing is it's important to sort of set some sort of you know have us have some values in the organization where people understand that there are different ways to work and an office is just a sort of housing structure for people if that's what you need and if that helps you kind of apply yourself and think in a certain way but um you know i'm not really um you know set on work being a sort of nine to five moment in life and everything else being separate i mean i don't mind if people find alternative ways to kind of contribute to what we do whether it's through idea generation or networking with clients um we're very open to being challenged but what that means is financially we run a a very very strong structure we have an incredibly you know robust middle of our business so you know legal finance hr it all those things are incredibly well managed and service every part of the business to let the individuals within the business do what they're best at and continue to improve at being the best at you know what they want to be um, focused on so the central services i guess of the agency was always something i believed and this was maybe a belief from the, my background my upbringing which is that you've got to have a very strong financial infrastructure to allow you to then do everything else because everything else for me as i said it almost feels like a hobby it's not about accumulating money for the sake Mm. of having cash it's about the freedom and i think having choices at work by being financially sound gives us all lots of freedom and freedom for us means you know enjoying work more and making you know as the times once said you know making the work environment almost better than being at home and um in this world where communications ha- is being shot apart, the industry is literally being disaggregated on a on a daily almost basis um, just because of the nature of the way that digital is going and the nature of clients' demands and just the changing environment we all find ourselves in. Interested in selling? Or is that point about freedom the big, the big one that trumps everything because you go, why the hell would I want to be owned by I, someone else? I think it's always about having the choices. The thing about the conversation around selling the agency always drops into a very transactional discussion, which just takes all my energy away. And I, so, you know, we wouldn't do it because we can't afford to pay the rent. Um, Would we do something financial to allow us to open up the opportunities? Everyone goes, go to China. Well, I, I kind of travel enough. I want to travel less. I'm not going to China. If somebody says, we'll help you open exposure in China and do something really interesting and significant, amazing south america africa i mean there are places in the world we'd love to exist we can't do it on our own 
at the moment it's not part of a you know immediate business strategy but we are open to all sorts of things and we always say to everybody you know new york and paris and tokyo didn't happen as part of some very well-defined three-year plan although there are plans mm. it happens because of opportunity and conversations and chance meetings often that lead to those kind of um, opportunities becoming reality it's been great talking to you i've really enjoyed it thank you thank um, you and thank you for the book too I hope you, don't, you won't take it back because you're happy. It's yours. Excellent. <laughs> Very good. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So it's As by Stevie Wonder. It's the song that we walked uh, down the aisle to. And actually, there's a thanks to Stevie in the book because when I met him for the first time at the Mondrian in LA, um, I had just got married. I'm, I saw him. I went up to him and started talking to him. He got up and gave me the biggest hug ever. And for me, that um, sort of sums it all up. <laughs> And the rosebuds know the bloom in early May Just as hate knows love's the cure You can rest your mind assured That I'll be loving you always That was as from Stevie Wonder, the song choice of my business shaper today, Raoul Shah. He talked about the importance of being curious, of being open to the world, of being a little bit fanatical about the detail and how important that was about being a curator, about loving to keep stuff, to collect stuff and to share it. And also, of course, why is he doing all of this? Because he loves the freedom, the freedom to do what he wants and the freedom to be his own boss, essentially. Really good stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers, though. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.